The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic, Dynamic pet, pet Duo. duo. This week on the Pet Buzz, we're talking about bed sharing with your pets. Do you have a fearful dog? Our expert provides help for fearful, anxious, and shy dogs and their owners. For the month of March, each week we're covering possible pet poisonings in your home. Do you want to help shelter dogs but don't have a lot of time? Learn more about the National Doggy Day Out program. Good morning, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio where we want to help you take better care of your pets. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. So now, let's get started with the show. Let's start off with celebrity pet news. You know, Martha Stewart is partnering with hemp producer Canopy Growth to develop a line of CBD products, starting with treats for pets, followed by an offering for their humans. Tapping into the knowledge she's gained after years of experience in the subject of living, Stewart said in a statement that she's especially excited that this launch will offer sensible products for people's beloved pets. As to what exactly Stewart's line will feature is, at the moment, unclear. Typically, CBD comes in the forms of tinctures bites and shampoos for pets and for humans oils gummies creams and other types of of edibles all of which people and pets take from everything from joint pain to anxiety it's also unclear whether cbd actually does anything for your health as relatively little scientific research has been done on the chemical compound but the industry is nevertheless booming yes it is any comments about Martha in the CBD business? No, I think that there's enough caution taken as we're moving along, and I think that's very good for our pet world anyway. Well, let's move forward with our global news blog. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. It seems that Steve Munt, now you're going to like this story, especially if you love space. Steve Munt, he used to work for NASA, but after he retired, he got credentials in animal nutrition and he adopted seven cats. Well, Steve started a Twitter page to share updates on his his beloved, you know, what is it, colony of cats. Mm-hmm. So one of his favorite cats named Pikachu passed away. So Steve wanted to memorialize him. So guess what he did? I don't know. He found a company that sends ashes into space on a satellite that can be tracked as it orbits the Earth. Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah, now you should be asking me, what's the cost? Okay, how much? Five grand. You know, that's not really outrageous, do you think? Well, I guess it's one of those things. It's a bucket list and makes your dreams come true. So as of this past morning, you can check out his gun, his GoFundMe page mm-hmm. at GoFundMe.com, Loving Pikachu, where he's raised, well, probably a little over $1,000 for Pikachu send off into space. So interesting. Very Cat- interesting. Who would think? Cats in space. Mm-hmm. 
How about now dogs on the iPhone? Okay, so what do you got for me? Well, last Thursday morning, the Lakeville Police Department in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. they received a strange phone call. Okay. The 911 dispatcher answered the phone and was met with only silence on the other end of the line. After repeated 911 calls with some barking in the background, strange officers were dispatched to the residence from which the calls were coming. Well, that would make sense. So once at the home, officers noticed nothing unusual or suspicious, just typical locked doors and barking dogs as they examined the property. Well, it's a good thing they went out. But more 911 calls came to the dispatcher from the same residence. Strange. Mm, Ghost. Fearing that an individual was hurt on the premises but couldn't speak, one of the officers returned to the premise. I can see how that happened. Yep. Mm-hmm. Once inside, she, she got found... inside. What? Once inside, yeah, she found two sweet but timid dogs and a cell phone that was set on emergency call only mode. Interesting. She theorized that the dogs jumped up and mistakenly interacted with the cell phone setting the emergency only feature and then calling 911 16 times. 16 times? Yes, 16 times. Of course, wasting valuable community resources and taxpayers' money. Once home, the dog owners couldn't even believe that their dogs had done this, so they took their cell phone to the local AT&T carrier to check on a phone malfunction. Mm-hmm. Nothing was wrong. Nothing was wrong with the phone. So that this doesn't happen to you, leave your phones far away from nosy noses and pushy paws. Okay. You got something else? I do. I have what were you thinking story. Okay. Officers with Cottonwood Heights, Utah Police Department rescued a dog which was left in a car to park and ride. Okay. Police say the owner enjoyed a day of skiing while the dog was left inside a cold vehicle. Some Uh idiot left their dog in a car while they went skiing? Oh, Mm -hmm. gosh. I checked and Cottonwood temperatures have had highs in the 40s and lows in the low 20s. Okay, it's Utah, so it's cold there. Absolutely, and officers kept the dog warm and fed at the police station. So they opened the car and got the dog out then? They did. Okay. So the police did not specify the breed of dog. Okay. The owner is now facing criminal charges. As well as she should. Just like leaving a dog in a hot car, dogs can also suffer from cold temperatures. Sure. So in the winter, cars can quickly cool to the outside temperature and especially small and inside only dogs are at risk for serious cold related issues like hypothermia. Sure. So what do you, if what, what would you do if you see a dog in a locked car over the winter time? Take a, maybe take a note of the license plate, enter the business the car is parked outside of and talk to the management. Maybe asking them to page the consumer over their loud system. If no one comes forward, quickly make a call to the authority, such as the local law enforcement or the animal control office, so they can legally ensure the dog's safety. That's a good point. Well, here's our last story. So there was this cat named Stormy. This is like when people get too into other people's business. So there was this cat named Stormy, as I said, that spent more than six years as a fixture in a remote Alaska general store. And now they're being forced out. He's being forced out. Stormy's being forced out after officials notified the store owners that the cat's present violates food safety standards. 
Stormy, the slightly overweight black hat, spends her days lounging on the wooden chairs out front and she solicits customers for a scratch on the head. Typical, like, cat, you know, cat in the store behavior. Sure. But now, recently, the State Food Safety and Sanitation Program received a complaint about Stormy and an environmental health officer saw the cat in the store. Well, state food safety codes prohibit pets and facilities that serve food except for police dogs and service animals. So some residents of Homer, that's Alaska, believe that the cat is part of the store and the rural community's culture. Several people visit the shop just to say hi to Stormy. So what's going to happen to Stormy now? What's she going to do? Where's she going to go? And now that her job is being terminated, Gino, Stormy's going to go live with the owner's sister. Well, what do you think? Should Stormy be evicted? No. No? I don't think so. Well, let us know on social on our social media channels we're curious what you think we sure are but you know we're running out of time so that's all the news for today so stay tuned we'll be right back discussing sleeping in bed with your pets stay tuned you are listening to the pet buzz with pet trendologist charlotte reed and veterinarian dr michael fleck we love to communicate with you via social media use the pet buzz social media channels on twitter and facebook to make a comment or ask a question post a picture of your pet on instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality you can also write to us at team at the for more information about our show our guests and our buzzworthy freebies visit us at the Molly's seven, Jesse's five, Sam, the only boy, is three. Our pets are members of our family. And that's why when my family's going on a vacation or we need to board our pets for the day, I need to make sure they're in a loving and safe environment. As a pet owner, I recommend the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton. At the AMC, dogs have individual indoor and outdoor runs, sleep in their own beds, and eat their own food. We bring their toys, but you don't have to. They have all that and more. The live-in attendant and staff make sure that the dogs get the attention and exercise they need. And Sam the cat even gets playtime. So the next time you need to go away, call the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton at 941-753-6709 to book a reservation. To board your pet at the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton, your dog and cat need to be current on all vaccinations and on heartworm preventative. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. I enjoy being with you each week talking pets. You know, the National Sleep Foundation is celebrating its annual Sleep Awareness Week from March 10th to March 16th. This year's theme, Begin With Sleep, highlights the importance of good sleep health for individuals to best achieve their personal, family, and professional goals. The week-long Begin With Sleep campaign will provide valuable information about the benefits of optimal sleep and how sleep affects health, well-being, and safety. And since there is so much debate about sleeping with dogs or actually sleeping with pets, we want to discuss if there's a benefit to sleeping with dogs. So joining us today is Dr. Christy Hoffman, Program Director of, let's see if I can say this, Anthrozoology and Associate Professor at Canisius College. Welcome back to the Pet Buzz, Dr. Hoffman. We're always happy to have you join us. Thank you. It's great to be back. 
So, Dr. Hoffman, let's talk about your recent study, Pet Ownership and Human Sleep. So, what motivated you to conduct a very interesting study about sleeping with dogs, cats, and humans? There are a few things that actually inspired my interest in this research area. First of all, I at the time I started thinking about this, I was a sleep-deprived mom of a toddler. Mm. My daughter wasn't letting me get much sleep, and I was like, my dogs never really have bothered my sleep the way that my daughter is. And at about the same time, my students and I were reading a paper that had used survey data collected by a mattress company to start to explore the effects of pets on sleep. And we realized beyond that, there really wasn't much research that had looked at the relationship between pets and human sleep. But given that we spend roughly a third of our lives sleeping, and given how important sleep is to our physical and mental health, we thought this was an important topic worthy of exploration. And so we set out with our study. Well, I think so, too. So talk about your subjects. Like, who were they? Were they dogs, cats, other animals? Well, we did a survey study. So um, I haven't had much luck yet getting dogs and cats to complete surveys. So we um, contacted the um, owners of dogs and cats. Um, We also had participants who did not have any pets. And uh, we had participants that varied in terms of whether they shared their bed with human bed partners and or dogs and or cats so that we could look at the effects of these different types of bed partners on sleep or at least perceptions of how they were affecting them in sleep. Now, wasn't there a heavy emphasis on women involved in the study? Uh, We did focus our analyses for the paper we published on women and that was largely for practical reasons uh, we couldn't get very many men to take our survey <laughs> and um, and also that was okay because um, research unrelated to pets and sleep has found that women tend to have more sleep related disturbances and so it also made sense in that way to focus on women okay so women cats and dogs correct yes okay so how was the study conducted I mean did what did you guys do? Did you give everybody an instruction manual? <laughs> well, we um, recruited our participants over social media, and then we also um, emailed participants from our previous studies and asked them to help us get the word out about our study. And people who clicked on the link that we sent them or that they found on social media um, then uh, went to a survey site where they asked they were asked questions specifically about their perceptions of their sleep quality and their thoughts about how their pets and or human partners impacted their sleep. Cool. Sounds really interesting. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Canisius College's Dr. Christy Hoffman about her most recent study about women's sleep routines at bed sharing with pets. So tell us what your research revealed. So we had a number of interesting findings. Um, One was that we saw some differences in women's perceptions of how their dogs and cats impacted their sleep routines. So women who had dogs tended to go to bed earlier than women who had cats but no dogs. They also woke up earlier. Having dogs also seemed to keep women on a more consistent sleep schedule, which could possibly be attributed to dog needing to go out and toilet, especially uh, in the morning hours. Okay. We also found, and, and this is what... Um, what I think has gotten the most interest from people, we found that that our participants perceived that their human bed partners were more disruptive to their sleep than their dog bed partners. So that doesn't bode well for human partners. We also found that participants um, reported that their dogs provided them more comfort and security at bedtime 
then there's human bed partners, and then cat flops out here. Why do you think that is? Is it because you can, like, what do you think that is? Is it because you can, like, lie down, pet your your dog when it goes to sleep? Whereas, like, for example, my dogs, when they get in bed, they kind of find their spot and, like, lie down. Whereas the cat wants to climb on me. He wants to need me. He wants to hang out for a while. He wants, you know, for him, I guess that's when I'm calm and in the bed, that's the time that I'm not paying attention to any dogs. And really, he wants to say, hey, play with me. Focus on me. Right. Yeah. So um, dogs' sleep schedules tend to be to align more closely with humans. And so they tend to be, I think, calmer during those hours when when we're trying to sleep compared to cats. Uh, Women also reported that their cats didn't spend as much time on the bed as their dogs. But Mm -hmm. I think some of that may be the cat coming and going from the bed, which certainly could be um, disruptive to sleep. Now, did you find that um, how pets in the bed affect the quality of human sleep? I mean, did you discuss that very much or no? Uh, We looked at that a bit and we didn't see really much difference in terms of um, uh, sleep disruptions or negative impacts on sleep across the board comparing all the different possible bed partners. So there wasn't much there in terms of that. It was more um, women's perceptions of the comfort and security their various types of bed partners provided and um, their perceptions of, of disruption. So the difference was on a validated survey of sleep quality, there wasn't much that we really found that was um, different across groups, but right because I know questions about the ways they affect their sleep. Yeah, I know a few years the Mayo Clinic did a sleep study, and one of the things they said mm-hmm. definitely affected sleep was, you know, having like a bulldog or a dog snoring, which <laughs> you know when Doctor Flex snores, that really bothers me. But for the most part, I'm very lucky because as a partner, he just lies in the same spot and doesn't really move very much, um, whereas I'm all over the bed waking up and whatever. But um, okay, so question for you. Do you think the natural characteristics of dogs and, and cats affected your outcome? I, I think that um, one difference or the reason we may see a difference in perceptions of comfort and security provided by dogs versus cats is that um, women may be um, finding comfort and security from their dogs, assuming that their dogs will bark and scare away any potential threats while they're sleeping, whereas cats are not very inclined to be a good threat deterrent or um, bark and necessarily alert someone um, to something that needs their attention. And so I think that might be a difference in the realm of comfort and security. And then um, with dogs, sleep schedules aligning more closely or naturally more closely with humans, that may be another reason why dogs are perceived as better sleep partners. Yeah, no, I was just curious because I find cats tend to be nocturnal, whereas your dogs not are not necessarily. Um, it might depend on if you keep a, you know, a late night schedule. Are you one of these people who go to work at night? So that's why I was just curious if the fact that your cats are up and playing around in the middle of the night might have something to do with it. Well, my last question, and we've got about another 30 seconds. How can this study help human sleep? So I think this field of human sleep research really benefits from developing a better understanding of how pets and where they sleep impacts sleep quality. This is because pets, um, especially because pets are really common in U.S. households and um, are actually very common in people's beds as well. 
And so we have a lot to learn. We're just scratching the surface here about the effects of pets on human sleep. And so we have to do more to figure out the context under which pets and their presence in the bed might positively impact sleep. And also it's important to look at what potential context um, where co-sleeping with a pet might actually be uh, a negative for someone's sleep quality and potentially even their, their health if they're not sleeping well with the pet with them. Well, I'm really glad that you did this study and we can talk about it because sleeping these days, talking about sleep, this was one of the hot topics at CES. This is one of the hot topics everywhere you go on the internet. So Dr. Hoffman, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your latest study. We always love having you back. The the work, the research work that you do is so interesting. But before you leave, can you give us your website where we can learn more about your work? Sure. The best place to follow our research is actually on our Facebook page. So the Kenesha's Canine Research Team Facebook page is the best place to keep up with what we're we're doing next. Great. And I'll put that on our social media channels. Everyone, that was Dr. Christy Hoffman discussing adult women's sleep quality and sleep routines in relation to pet ownership and bed sharing. After the commercial break, we're going to discuss the harmful effects of human medication on pets. Remember, March is Poison Prevention Awareness Month. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up, like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. You know, March is Poison Awareness Month. And for the month of March, we want to help you protect your pets. So each week, we're going to talk about various poisons, some that you recognize and some that you don't, in your home. But if you don't know, about one quarter of all phone calls to the ASPCA, Animal Poison Control Center, that's the APCC, are about human medication. Your pet can easily ingest drop pills or may be given even harmful human medication by an unknowing owner or pet sitter. For example, they gave you the wrong medication, resulting in illness or even the death of your pet. So joining us to talk about the 10 most common human medication complaints that the ASPCA, Animal Poison Control Center, receives is veterinarian Dr. Tina Wismer, medical director at the ASPCA, Animal Poison Control Center. Dr. Wismer, welcome back to the Pet Buzz. We always love having you. Thank you. So let's start with something really basic. What are the contributing factors to pets consuming um, ibuprofen? So with ibuprofen, many of these products actually are sugar-coated. 
It makes it easier for us to take it. It also makes it quite tasty for dogs. And also, we keep ibuprofen in things that dogs find that are fun to chew up, plastic bottles and plastic baggies. Interesting. And, you know, the funny thing is I take it because that's what they, you know, I take it for cramps in my particular sense. So I always have some in my bag or some nearby. But I never realized that it was sugar coated. So I'm thinking about like Advil and Motrin because that's what ibuprofen is. I mean, or the generic kind that you find at Walmart. But I never realized that it was sugar coated. Some of the brands certainly are. So now we've learned something new. So I'm so glad that you're here. Okay, so now there's been a lot of discussion in the last few years about tramadol, especially since certain individuals have gone to extreme lengths, including injuring, i.e. cutting their pets, to obtain this pain reliever from veterinarians. What can happen if a pet consumes too much tramadol? So tramadol is in the opioid family. So it's good for pain relief, but too much can cause sedation. It can cause your pet to act drunk. Really large amounts can affect the heart rate and the blood pressure. Interesting. And would my pet, I mean, what would happen? I mean, will, will he fall over? Will he seem drunk? Will he be stumbling around like a drunken person? Yes. Yeah, they'll be um, wobbly, especially in the hind end. They may seem very disoriented. Um, usually their pupils are very constricted. Um, so certainly you will know if they're affected. Well, you know, my next question really involves something that I have a tendency to do. So recent studies have shown that pet owners like to sleep in bed with their pets, their dogs and their cats. I don't know about bunnies or ferrets, but why do pet owners always have to be conscientious or careful about where they put their medication. Right. The nightstand, unfortunately, is very easily accessible to both dogs and cats, so they can ingest your medications easily. Well, if they eat out of your ice cream bowl, you know, late at night, those <laughs> folks who put their ice cream bowl, I have to say I'm guilty of that at least once a week, then it's very, if you get up to go to the bathroom and the next thing you know, you come back, they're licking your vanilla ice cream. So why not? Why couldn't they easily get your medication? Right. And, you know, people will put medications on their nightstands, um, you know, to help them sleep. Things like Xanax or Ambien. And those can act really differently in pets. So something like Xanax will make your dog or cat a little sleepy or a little wobbly. But dogs and cats actually take pretty big doses of that type of medication compared to people. But on the other hand, Things like Ambien, those don't make dogs and cats sleepy. They actually make them very agitated, high heart rates, and your pets may end up having to go to the ER. Costing you many hundreds to thousands of dollars, I'm sure. Well, if you've just yes. joined us, we're talking with the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center's Dr. Tina Wismer about pets' accidental ingestion of human medication. So, like, once again, I'm so glad you're with us because this is such an important topic. I mean, it's it's unbelievable that m a lot of your phone calls at the Poison Control Center have to do with human medication. So let's talk about Adderall. So Adderall is a combination of, from what I understand, four different amphetamines and is used to treat attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, in children over three years of age. So... And we know that many kids, you know, you know what little kids love to do. They love to share with Fido or Felix. 
So now what could be the result of pets ingesting Adderall? Yes. So when children take Adderall, you know, it's basically to kind of calm them down. But this is another one of those medications that causes the exact opposite signs in pets. They become very agitated. They can have high heart rates, potentially muscle tremors, and even seizures. Hmm. Wow. Crazy. But it's real. I think it's really important. So, I mean, if you have children out there, I really think that you need to find out what the effects are possibly of your pets ingesting their medication talk to your veterinarian it's always a good idea this way if something happens your pet is acting strange there's a possibility you could ask your child if he or she shared medication okay so we've talked a lot about dogs but what about cats what meds do we have to be weary of around them and can you talk about some of the side effects Sure. Cats aren't big pill eaters compared to dogs, but they certainly can get themselves into problems. And one of the most dangerous is the -the over-the-counter medication, acetaminophen, so Tylenol. Acetaminophen in cats can change their blood so it can't carry oxygen. So these guys will have difficulty breathing, um, and it can also affect their liver. And many cats will die from eating acetaminophen. Wow. Who would know? I'm so. I mean, so, that's why I said I'm so glad you're here because so many people have cats. I mean, what is it? It's like the ratio is like one to two and a half or something like that. Dog per cat owner, and cats just you know they tend to spend more time nosing around. I mean, I have cats and dogs. Everyone thinks of me as a dog person, but I do have cats. I have one now, but you know he's always into something. If you open the cabinet under the kitchen sink, guess what? There he goes. He wants to see what everything is. He climbs on the counters. Occasionally, we find him up in a cupboard. So I'm really glad that you talked about that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wismer, for being here. But I have one more question, and I don't want to forget that. So lastly, if you fear that your dog or cat has ingested medication, what, do you sh- what should you do? Certainly give your veterinarian or your local emergency clinic a call. Don't wait until your pet develops clinical signs. We want to see them as soon as possible. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Before you go, give us the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center phone number and website. Our phone number is 888-426-4435. And our website is ASPCA.org. Great. Well, everyone, I'm going to make sure that we put all that information up on the website so you have it, so you know. And we're going to put some of these medications up there so you can go through if you've missed anything or missed any portion of this. This way you'll know. You can go reference it. You can listen to the segment again on Monday. But everyone, that was veterinarian Dr. Tina Wismer of the ASPCA discussing the dangerous effects of ingesting human medication by pets, of course. Stay tuned. We'll be back discussing living with dogs that suffer from anxiety. Stay tuned. Love being with you each week. Thanks. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. 
We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. Here at the Pet Buzz, we always like to say we're urban, suburban, and country. You know, I like to celebrate my recognized wacky and pet holidays for the calendar. So when I saw that March 9th was panic day, I thought it would be a great time to talk about fearful and anxious dogs. Well, joining us today is Debbie Jackson, a certified professional dog trainer. Debbie uses the principles of applied behavior analysis to assess problem behaviors and formulate management and training plans to increase the appropriate behaviors and decrease the unwanted ones. She's also the author of A Guide to Living with and Training with a Fearful Dog. So, Debbie, welcome to the Pet Buzz. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Charlotte. So, here's my first question. Very simple. Debbie, how does a pet owner know that he or she has a fearful dog? What are the signs? Well, that's a great question. Um, It's important to understand that fear is a response of the autonomic nervous system, which means that animals have no control over how how they're responding. And there are three classic uh, responses to being afraid. And by classic, I mean that we see them across species, not just in dogs. And that's freezing, fleeing or fighting so you might have a dog who appears to be stubborn you know they won't do what you want them to do they're not moving but that dog might be confused or they might be scared or on the other hand they might seem to be okay with something that's being done to them but that's but that's only because they're too afraid to try to get away now fleeing or running away or hiding i mean those are obvious to most people when they see it that an animal is scared but however Fighting is often misidentified as a fear response because it scares us. And so it's always easier to see fear and feel compassion for a dog who's cowering, hiding, or trying to get away, and not quite as easy to see it when we feel threatened or angered by what they're doing. So interesting. What I'm so glad you're here to talk about this. So, you know, I think based on what you're saying, I would be worried that as a pet owner, if I had a fearful dog, how could I bond with him or her? Well, it's another good question, and I have to say, for me, it leads to more questions, because I'm not really sure what the term bonding would mean to an individual pet owner or what it means to a dog, Um, but let's just say that it means that they feel a particular way about the dog or the dog feels a particular way about them, and I would then define it in behavioral terms in that somebody who's bonded with a dog decides that they're going to keep it. 
they're going to put the time, the effort, the money into helping that dog become a happy pet. And generally speaking, what I recommend people to do is to, number one, keep the dog feeling safe, whatever that means for that dog. And it's also important, of course, that an owner feels safe with their dog as well. The other thing that we do is we create fabulously good associations for the dog with the owner and with everything in the dog's world that they're going to have to live with. And we do this by pairing all of those objects, events, people and dogs and interactions with really good stuff like food and play. And the third thing we do for bonding um, is to give the dog the skills they need to be a successful pet. And to do that, we train them. And we use food to train them. And we train without using force, fear, pain, or intimidation. Great, great comments, Debbie. You know, I'm just curious. Would I, should a pet owner have a fearful dog? Do you think you should talk to your veterinarian about medications to keep the dog calmer and reduce anxiety while you're doing all of the things that you just talked about? Oh, I can't say yes enough. Um, The importance um, cannot, we just can't overemphasize how debilitating and how damaging fear and anxiety are. They produce, the animal is actually suffering. And there are medications that can not only help the dog feel calmer um, and less anxious, but they're actually relieving that suffering. And why wouldn't we do that? The other thing that folks often don't think about is that there are real risks to not treating chronic anxiety or routine fearfulness in dogs. And that's, you know, that's something that we have to keep form, you know, forefront in our minds um, because behavioral problems can get worse if we don't treat them. And then when they get worse, they're harder to treat. And so we need to remember that there can be side effects to delaying the treatment of fear and anxiety with um, the use of vet-prescribed medications. Great, great comments. You know, I think if you know someone who's fearful, because a lot of people are reluctant to give their pets medication, but if you know someone who's fearful and they have to take medication just to cope on a day-to-day basis, I think it's kind of the same thing with your dog. Maybe that dog needs an extra, a little bit of help. And that's why it's always a great idea to talk to your veterinarian as a sounding board. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with dog trainer Debbie Jacobs about training fearful dogs. So Debbie, how is training a fearful dog different from training a dog that is not suffering from anxiety? Oh, another great question. Well, fundamentally, there's really no difference. I mean, all animals learn the same way. But when we're working with an animal who's afraid, we need to be much more considerate of whether or not something scares or startles them. And we need to make sure that we understand that many of the behaviors we don't like and we want to change are due to the fact that the dog is scared. And if we can address that fear... Um, and that's keeping the dog feeling safe, talking to a vet about meds, creating good associations with, you know, with all the objects, peoples, and events in their lives. We can make it easier for them to learn new skills. Great. Now, this is a really important question, my last question. I feel so good. You told me all my questions are great today. But, you know, not everyone can can get you. I mean, probably if they have lots of money, they can fly you in and you could work with their dog. But that's not always the case. So what about someone who's just listening and they want advice about how to hire someone like you who specializes in fearful dogs? Where do they find that person? 
Well, you're batting a thousand, Charlotte, because it's another great question. <laughs> um, maybe one of the most important questions to ask in that. And, and you know, you know, it's. Um, we need to remember, pet owners need to remember that the dog training industry is unregulated, um, which means that many of us, as either as as owners or trainers, have been exposed to lots of misinformation about how dogs learn. And so many pet owners and trainers come from training from the wrong direction, and they can make matters worse rather than better. So it's really critical that any anyone who interacts with a fearful dog as a trainer, a groomer, a vet, a pet sitter, anything, um, they understand how behavior works and how to train efficiently without using fear, force, intimidation, or pain. And probably, you know, one of the the biggest, sort of the first question to ask, or the, the first thing to look for, is to start with a trainer who uses food to train, and they are unapologetic about it. That's positive reinforcement. That is exactly right. Okay, great. Well, out there, if you do have a fearful dog, I would suggest you get Debbie's book. Tell us the name of your book, Debbie. Um, well, I've got two, but the but the one that seems to be most helpful, or folks always get back to me about, is a guide to living with and training a fearful dog. Okay, and you can get it on my website, or Dogwise has it, Amazon has it. And just so we know, how much is that book? Uh, Sixteen ninety nine, and you could buy the book off of oh. Amazon, or you can download it, which I think is really key these days. Well, Debbie, before you leave. First of all, thank you so much for being here with us because I think this information was so, so important for so many people out there because a lot of people are adopting dogs these days. So, and a lot of times those dogs can be very fearful. They've been in shelters for either a short period of time or a long period of time. So making sure that you understand how to work with these dogs, seeing your vet and getting great advice from Debbie or a trainer who is like, has their resume in check and you check references is really important. But Debbie, give us your website so we know how to reach you it's easy fearfuldogs.com she's right about that fearfuldogs.com that was debbie jacobs certified apdt that's association of pet dog trainers um, and author of a guide to living with a fearful dog as well as does my dog need prozac well up next we're going to talk about how you can help shelter dogs in a day so stay tuned so glad you're with us When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. So, I'm kind of new here, but I've noticed a trend. My human does this funny thing where she goes around and gets all my toys, and then she hides them in that basket by the door. You know, but it's always the same basket, and it's always in the, in the same place. And then she acts so surprised when I find them, but, you know, she's putting them in the same basket. Again. It's like, hello? That's where you put it last time. You were the worst at hide-and-go-seek. 
The dynamic pet duo is back at you. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are giving you some pet buzz to get you and your pets through the week. Well, if you don't have a lot of time to volunteer at your local animal shelter, but you want to help dogs in your community, other than sending in a donation, which of course is always appreciated, you might want to consider taking a dog out of the shelter for an afternoon of adventure and fun. And joining us today to talk about this concept of Doggy Day Out is Stephanie Jackson, Foster Coordinator at Louisville Metro Animal Services. Stephanie, thank you for joining us at the Pet Buzz this morning. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and share what I know. Good, good, good. We're excited too. So if you could, could you please describe in detail what Mutual Rescue Doggy Day Out is and how did it come about? Yeah, well, I got involved with Mutual Rescue's Doggy Day Out. Uh, they contacted me for um, an outlet because we have a field trip program here at our shelter. Um, so they were starting a, a toolkit for other shelters. So basically, Mutual Rescue is putting together all this helpful information for other rescues to be more involved in field trips and dog day out with your local shelter. I think it's great. So talk a little bit about how this program helps shelter dogs. How does getting them out of the shelter for an afternoon help? Well, uh, a lot of times it's just getting them out and getting them around town to get noticed by potential adopters. It also helps some challenging behaviors that you may see behind a kennel door. Um, You're not going to see those most of the time outside of the shelter, so an adopter has the potential to see them um, be their true dog self outside of the shelter. So it's super beneficial with dogs who may suffer a little bit in the kennel, but outside of the shelter they're they're just, you know, shining stars. I like that, shining stars. I like that too, yeah. (laughs) So who volunteers for these special programs? And maybe talk a little bit about the volunteer training. Anyone can volunteer with um, Dog Day Out and um, field trips. Typically what we prefer at Metro Animal Services is 18 and older. Um, But we do allow kids to go. Uh, Basically, we have a 45-minute orientation here at our shelter where you learn safety and handling and what you can do and what you can't do um, and where to go and what to do and just giving the dog a full experience and that that special time out of the shelter. Well, you know, what I think that's really interesting about this particular program is that, you know, this is geared toward people who don't have a lot of time, who can't volunteer consistently or Mm -hmm. who can't foster animals. So if that's you meaning that you work really long hours, but sometimes on a Saturday you like to go hiking and maybe you want to help a dog or spend some time with a a dog and you don't think you have what it takes to just take care of a dog, you can do this wonderful program, Doggy Day Out, for a few hours with a dog. And I hope we can help get this message out because I have a lot of clients that can't do this full time but would love to help out occasionally. Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, I think that's what really appealed to me that Stephanie had done this program in a city that we love, Louisville. Yep. Yeah. And yes, we love we love <laughs> we we'll be do. we'll be there in another six weeks or so for that's the right. Derby, of course. Um, awesome. But I think it's just so great. And you you you've won an award for creating this program, isn't that correct? Yeah, the Louisville Magazine granted us um, Critics' Choice Award for 2018 for field trips. So that was one of the coolest things that we've been able to experience with um, as far as getting the word out is having that recognition from our community. It was really special. 
Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking about the benefits of Doggy Day Out program with Stephanie Jackson. Stephanie, can you talk a little bit about how this program can help the shelters within a community? Yeah. And you started to talk about about getting noticed. Yeah. So, I mean, the the program itself has been sort of a, I mean, it's been amazing to see the um, response from the community because a lot of times people aren't sure what they can do to help a shelter. And sometimes they just want to hang out with dogs. And sometimes they're not able to do that without going through, jumping through a bunch of hoops. So field trips, for us, we make it really easy, just that orientation, and then anyone from the community can come and take a dog out. So a lot of people are seeing that in the community, and it's bringing a lot of positive attention to our shelter, whereas maybe before there may have been some naysayers, but now a lot of people are on board because they're seeing all the good things that field trips are doing for adoptions and fostering, and overall, just the entire shelter. The staff gets some morale boost when they see dogs go out, so it's really great. So this this program has really kind of helped your organization too, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. It, it really has. It's been, um, you know, we had an orientation that had over 150 people last wow. year. And that was the biggest, yeah, that was the biggest turnout we've had for anything at our shelter. So I think that's great. But you know, the one thing that I like, though, about this program, and I, you can imagine yourself, if you see somebody with their dog, like going downtown, like going downtown Sarasota or going downtown Louisville, is you can imagine seeing the dog. It might have the adoption bandana or the adoption vest on, but you can see what it would be like to be with this dog. You know what I mean? It's kind of like advertising today, you know, when you see the the dog and the person out in the woods or enjoying camping or something like that. You can say, wow, I can do that with my dog. And then if you see someone, not necessarily someone from the shelter, but, you know, a contemporary walking a dog, hanging out in the afternoon, sitting outside at a restaurant, you're like, that could be me. Absolutely. And that's I- actually something that we say that I say all the time is that some people want to adopt a dog because it pulls out their heartstring behind a kennel door and then other people just want to see a dog being a dog out in the world and see something that they can have in their life and it's really helped with our adoptions is being able to see the dogs in the community and being a dog and not just sitting behind a shelter door exactly and it really puts the dog and I would think just seeing the new sights and the smells and the sounds really help the dogs just kind of deal because after a while I mean we just had we just talked about a story a few weeks ago a dog had been in a shelter down here for like three years Mm -hmm. and hadn't gotten adopted Mm -hmm. and they tried to put her in other homes but you know I think all so the that's the other importance because Michael was asking me a little bit about you before he sat down for the interview, and I said, you know, it's one of the things that's really really helpful when people go to a shelter or to a, an organization. I don't necessarily want to use the word shelter. I mean, helpful adoption organization is really relying on that adoption counselor because I think they're going to know based on the dog what's the best dog for you. So if you're a square, don't try to fit into a round <laughs> peg. Just because the dog is small and little, listen to these adoption, right, Steph? Absolutely, yeah. The the profiles we receive back from the volunteers who take them out give the adoption counselors just amazing information. So when they ask, you know, how do they ride in a car, we have an answer for them as opposed to, oh, I don't know, they just sit in a kennel all day, you know? Right. Or how are they on the, you know, maybe somebody lives down closer to town where they're going to be walking to pick up, you know, their dry cleaning or something. Not tying the dog up outside, but running a few (laughs) errands with their dog. So, yeah, I mean, you'll know if it, you know, maybe the dog doesn't like other dogs or is not good with grandchildren. You know what I mean? So these are the things that you really need to rely on your adoption counselor. You had a question, Dr. Fleck. 
So you got some states that are involved with this program. How many states and what are the goals? As far as the states, I think there are, uh, well, I know there are 27 shelters listed wow. in the Mutual Rescue Directory. Um, and most have several municipal shelters uh, or areas in them. So they're both like rural areas and urban areas. Um, and the and the goals are just, hopefully it's just, just make that number just quadruple. You know, we want every shelter and every shelter staff to know they have these, you know, Mutual Rescue has this toolkit and it's as simple as just going to the website and downloading it and starting pro- this program at your shelter. Well, we certainly want this uh, program to be successful. So Steph, thanks for joining us today. Uh, can you give us uh, your website? Yeah, mutualrescue.org. And then if you click on the doggy day out, you can help a shelter near you and download that toolkit. We love that. Definitely yep. check out the toolkit. It's really helpful. We're going to send this out to some of our shelters so they can listen to this interview and learn more about your program. But everyone, that was Stephanie Jackson discussing Doggy Day Out, a program in conjunction with Mutual Rescue. We're going to take a commercial break and be right back talking about next week's show. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss what we're going to talk about next week. know what? What? Since I got adopted, I've learned a lot about these humans. Uh, I know. I mean, check out these two. It's Flirt City over here. Yeah, I noticed that. It looks like my human is definitely into your human. Oh, look! I think she's getting his number. Nice. Your human's got some sweet moves. Takes after his dog. (laughs) Oh, look, they're doing that thing where they put their arms around each other. She kicked up a leg. It's like in the movies. That's awesome. Looks like we're going to be hanging out a little bit more. And we're back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz with petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. That's the bell signifying it's time to wrap the show. But before we go, we want to give you a preview of what's happening next week. Well, next week we're going to talk about how pet stores can help save homeless pets, a new treatment for dogs with bone cancer, and how common houseplants can affect our four-legged friends. And Dr. Fleck. Don't forget to thank our guests. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Christy Hoffman, veterinarian Dr. Tina Wismer, Debbie Jacobs, and Stephanie Jackson. And of course, we always want to thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Just so you know, you can follow along on our social media channels as the show airs. We post our thoughts, notes, and pictures so you can have Really a thoroughly enjoyable experience as you listen to the show. And if you have any questions, write us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover your question or your statement on next week's show. Additionally, if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels and listen to the link podcast on Monday morning. Most importantly, remember we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. 
The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.